Everyone else, if you have a Bible, go ahead and open up to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2. We'll have some scriptures up here on the screen, but the, the passage that Colin just read is from Galatians chapter 2. As we're continuing to, to preach through this, this series in Galatians, uh, we'll be picking up in verse 15. So as you're, as you're turning there, I would like for us to consider this morning uh, what it means to be a Christian. I fear that some of us have some wrong ideas as to what it is that makes us uh, a Christian. Or at the very least, we've forgotten or lost sight of what happened to us when we came to faith in Christ. Uh, Because for some, they think that being a Christian means that they have come to intellectually affirm some truths about Jesus. Uh, Like they are persuaded in their minds that he is God and they recognize that they have sinned and they need a savior. And it makes sense in their minds that if he really died and if he really rose from the dead, then yes, Jesus is probably who he said he is. And so they agree in their minds that Jesus is the savior. For others, they think that being a Christian uh, means that they have a certain set of rules or morals that they believe are best to follow. And they've checked out some other worldviews and faiths, and they, they've come to find that, yeah, loving God and loving others seems to be the best uh, rules to live by. And, and so they like Jesus, and they call themselves a Christian because he gave us the best, si- the best set of rules and morals to, to live by. For others, they think being a Christian means that they've had some uh, really invigorating spiritual experiences that have centered around the worship of Jesus. And so uh, they, they like to get that experience every now and then at a, at a worship gathering or at a concert or at a conference. And so for them, being a Christian means chasing a certain type of emotion or feeling or experience. Now, all of those are not necessarily wrong, And all of those can be a part of what it looks like to be a Christian, but none of them fully explain what it means to be a Christian. And so maybe an illustration will help us uh, understand this point. Um, July 12th, 2008 was one of the most glorious days in the history of the world. Do you guys know what happened on July 12th, 2008? Do we have any guesses? I got married. We got married. Yes. Brittany and I got married on that day, and it was a glorious day, July 12th, 2008. On that day, Brittany became a walker, and I became her husband. Now, let's think through this. Does someone become a walker because they merely intellectually affirm that walkers are awesome, and they know a bunch of facts about the walkers? Does that make someone a walker? (laughs) They took a Walker 101 class. They learned all about us. They've studied us. They know that we like to dance to the Wooly Bully at birthday parties. They know that we like to eat resurrection rolls on Easter. They know that we compete in reindeer games in January. And so just knowing all those things, and you can ask my family about those things later if you want, but just knowing those things, does that make someone a walker, knowing some facts about them? Or what about this? Does someone become a walker because they agree that we have the best household rules and we play the best games and we eat the best dessert and we educate with the best curriculum and we live the best way? 
And so if someone merely just likes the way we live, does that make them a walker? Or what about someone who just loves to come to walker parties? Because walkers throw the best parties, the most fun and enjoyable parties. We laugh and we dance and we feast and we party like we believe Jesus actually rose from the dead and is seated on the throne. Does that make someone a walker? Because they like to come and experience these great get-togethers together. Well, no. What made Brittany a walker on July 12, 2008 was that she took a step of faith and she entrusted her heart and her life to me. And on July 12, 2008, my life was united to her life. Her life was united to my life, which now meant that my story became her story and her story became my story. Two individuals walked into the church that morning and out walked one. And church, in our passage this morning, one of the most glorious truths in all of the universe will be revealed to us. And it's what theologians have called our union with Christ. For this is what it means to be a Christian. It means to be united to Christ. It means that his story has become our story. And so let me ask you this this morning. Has his story become your story yet? And if it has, are you living like it? Are you living by faith, moment by moment, continuing to entrust yourself to the one who loves you and gave himself for you? So now let's, we're going to jump into the text. We're going to see these things unfold. We're going to see our union with Christ. But before we do, let's pray, and then we'll dive into the Word. Father God, I do want to start out on this Veterans Day weekend by thanking you for the men and the women who have served our country. Father, we thank you for those in this room who have been in positions to to serve and to restrain evil and to promote justice and to protect the innocent. And so, Father, we do lift them up to you this morning, and we ask that the hardships of military duty would not harden their hearts towards you or towards others. We ask that, Lord, you would heal whatever is hurting in them, that you would bless them with your peace and your provision. And I ask God for us as a church family that we would be a people that would surround those who serve in this way and that we would love them well, that we would care for them well. Lord, we know that true peace only comes through you. And we look forward to the day where conflicts will cease and all would surrender to you, King Jesus. But until that day comes, I ask that you would give us courage, that you would bless our military with people who fear you and honor you, so that our strength would be used for good and righteous endeavors. May you bless those veterans who have served us. We thank you for them, God. And now as we come to your word, Lord, would you speak your truth? And Lord, would you prepare us to to receive it? May you bring new life into the world today, and may you reawaken those of us who've started to slumber and be complacent and we've forgotten 
as to just how glorious our union with Christ really is. So reawaken our hearts, God. We ask this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Okay, well, let's, let's remember where we're picking up this story in Galatians. Paul is, is telling the Galatians how he had to rescue Peter through a loving rebuke because Peter's conduct was not in line with the truth of the gospel. And so last week we talked about that the, the, the fact that as long as sin is present in the world, loving rebuke will be necessary. And we learned how to give and receive loving and gentle rebuke and that even the apostle Peter, one of the leaders in the church, needed to be rescued from his fear and his hypocrisy through a loving rebuke. And so these verses are are part of Paul's rebuke of of Peter, but in that rebuke, he goes into proclaiming some of the most glorious and good news that has ever been heard by mankind. Look with me now at Galatians 2.15. He says, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Here's where it's important to remember the context. Remember, he's speaking to Peter directly, and both Peter and Paul were Jewish, and Jews would call the Gentiles Gentile sinners, although they now know that Jesus came to make the unclean clean, and through the ministry of Christ, Peter and Paul now realize that, that they need to be made clean as well, and that they are sinners as well. Verse 16, Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have come, so so we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. You see, what many of the Jews, especially the Pharisees, had done was they had taken the law of God, which is good which was given to the people of God in the Old Testament, but instead of using the law as it was intended to be used, which if you were here during our Ten Commandments series, you remember uh, uh, the reasons and the purpose the law of God was given, right? You remember that the law of God was given to reveal the heart and holiness of our Father. The law of of God was given to reveal the heart and sinfulness of man. The law of God was given to show man his need of a Savior and lead him to Christ. And then once freed, from sin by a Savior, it was given to help people live wisely and love freely as children of God. That was the right intent and use of the law. But many of the Jews, especially the Pharisees, instead of using the law like a guide and a guardian until Christ came, they took the law and they viewed it as a ladder that would allow them to climb their way up to God to be right with him. You see, the commands of God should completely humble a person and show us that we are in need of a Savior. But many religious people think that in their own strength, they can climb this ladder of commands and God will accept them because they did their best to be a good person. And they maybe didn't make it up all the way of this ladder of holiness, but they made it a little higher than some of those other really bad people in the world. And therefore, surely God will accept me. But God's word says here that a person is not justified by works of the law. Now, what does it mean to be justified? It's a legal term that when Paul uses it in his letters, he's he's trying to bring us into the courtroom scene of God. Our our minds should go to the courtroom when we think of being justified. And essentially to be justified, it's, it's the complete opposite of being condemned. Okay, so to condemn someone is to declare them guilty. And you, you know, you have the gavel 
Declare someone guilty. That's to condemn someone. You declare them guilty. To justify someone is to declare them not guilty. And so to be justified is to be declared right with God and not guilty. You see, the universal problem that all human beings have is that we have rebelled against our good and holy God who created us to enjoy a relationship with him, to be his representative rulers here on earth, but we have all turned from God's ways. A couple of passages of scripture that that say this truth very clearly. One is Romans 3.23. Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Psalm 143, verse 2 says, Enter not into judgment with your servant, for no one living is righteous before you. You see, we have all sinned, which to sin, that means to turn from God's ways with either our thoughts, our attitudes, or our actions. We have all done this, and therefore no one living is righteous before God. Because of sin, because of the sin that has infected our hearts, no one can be right before God in their own power. We all stand in God's courtroom and deserve to hear guilty declared. Because God is holy and because God is just, sin must be punished. And we all know that we are not right with God. We deserve to hear the guilty verdict. The sobering truth is, is that we deserve hell. Never ask God to give you what you deserve. You deserve hell. Hell will be the fairest place in the universe. Everyone will get exactly what they deserve there. But we don't cry out to God to give us or ourselves or others what they deserve. We cry out to God with humble hearts that cry out for mercy and grace. We deserve to hear the guilty verdict. We deserve hell. And our first inclination is oftentimes to try to earn God's favor and get right with him ourselves. And it it seems like a logical first step. I mean, if if things don't seem right between you and God, I mean, let let me try to fix things up a little bit. Let me try to clean things up a little bit. Let me try to, to, to get myself right with God here. And every other religion or worldview lives with this view. It's let me follow this set of rules or let me get this knowledge or let me have this experience and then I will make myself right with God. Essentially, let me do enough work and then I'll be justified and right with God. But God's word says that a person is not justified by works. It's not possible Your heart is too sinful and your God is too holy for you to be able to work off this debt and make it all right. And this is what the cross shows us. The cross shows us just how holy God is and how sinful we are. It's not as if we could do some things here and there to make ourselves right with God. We we just didn't need to clean ourselves up a little bit and sprinkle a little Jesus into our lives. No, this is, there's not just something wrong with our actions. There is something wrong with our hearts. 
We didn't just need Jesus to make our story better. We needed his story to become our story. We needed a life-saving blood transfusion. We needed his life to become our life. God's word in verse 16, it says that a person is not justified by works, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, what is faith? Faith, as one of the Puritans, uh, William Ames, put it. I love this definition. We'll have it up on the screen. Faith is a resting of the heart on God. You see, this is how someone comes to be right with God. This is how someone is justified. It doesn't come through good works. It comes through faith, through resting your heart on Jesus. This means that, yes, you know a little bit about Jesus. I mean, faith comes from uh, by hearing the word of God, and, and you've heard that Jesus is the Son of God, and you've heard he's the second person of the Trinity, who because he saw that the human heart was so sinful and in need of a Savior, he, he came to earth and he lived the perfect life of obedience that we failed to live, and then he went to the cross and he died the death that we in our sin deserve to die, and three days later he rose from the dead, defeating Satan's sin and death, and he ascended into heaven, and he is ruling and reigning at the right hand of the Father, and he's drawing all people to himself. And what Jesus came and did and is now doing, that is all done by God's grace, his undeserved favor. None of us deserved it. And so this is not a blind faith or a leap of faith into the dark. True faith should have some knowledge of God and how he has revealed himself to his world and and, and, in his word. But faith must move from the head, and it must move into the heart, and it must move out into our hands. True faith must look like resting your entire heart and life on Christ and his good work, not on your good works. It is resting your entire heart and life and future on Christ, not on yourself. This is like when you get into bed at night, you put your full weight on the bed and you rest on what someone else has built, not your own strength. Like Pastor Kevin said, we rest at night, we lay there, we completely depend on God to sustain us through the night. This is what faith looks like. It is a resting of your heart and your life on Jesus Christ alone. And so when we look to Christ and believe into Christ, We rest our hearts and lives on him and his good works, not our own. And in a similar way that Brit was united to me, so too are we then united to Christ. And so why can God look at someone? Why can God look at you and me and say, not guilty? I mean, wouldn't that make him a liar if that's not true? Is he not just? Is he not holy? Is he not righteous? Is he turning a blind eye to sin? No, we are justified because we've been united to Christ. And his story has become our story. His perfect righteousness has become our righteousness. His death for sin becomes our death for sin. His resurrected life becomes our resurrected life. When someone entrusts their heart and their life to Christ, God looks at us and God sees that we are in Christ, that his story has become our story, and he rightly and truly says, not guilty, justified. 
Isn't this amazing, church? And so when we celebrate a baptism, that's what we're celebrating. We're celebrating that they have been united to Christ, that his story has become their story. And when we plunge someone under the water, we are illustrating that they are sharing that, 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 in, that in their sin they have died and they've been buried with Christ. And when we bring them back up, we're illustrating and showing that they have been raised to a new life in him. And so a question for you is, have you been justified through faith in Jesus Christ? Or are you trying to get yourself right with God by your own works? Hear me out and talk to others in here. It doesn't work. We don't have the strength and the power to make ourselves right with God on our own. The problem of sin is more serious than you realize. It's a problem of the heart. And in our sins, our hearts are dead and hardened towards God. And it's only the blood of Christ that will soften them. It's only the blood of Christ that will awaken them and resurrect them. And so may you rest your heart upon him. And for those of you that have been a Christian for many years, remember to keep resting your heart on him. And church, if things are right between you and God, listen, all is well. All is well. There is a spiritual energy that, that supercharges your soul to go advance the kingdom in this world and disciple the nations when you believe that you have been justified by God. I mean, if God is for you, who can be against you? If God did not spare his son for you, how will he not graciously give you all things? And so this is how we take heart, church, through faith in Jesus Christ, through resting our hearts upon him. His story now becomes our story. His righteousness now becomes our righteousness. His victory now becomes our victory. His joy now becomes our joy. His glory now becomes our glory. God's grace has made a way for you to be right with God. Do not reject his grace today. And church, when I put my faith in Jesus, not only does his story become my story, but now my life becomes his life. Look back at Galatians 2, verse 17. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. Admittedly, verses 17 and 19 are a little confusing to read at, at first glance. But remember, this is in the context of Paul rebuking Peter. And what Paul has just torn down, as he references in verse 18, is he has torn down the Pharisees' wrong use of the law as a means of justification. They took what God had given them and they used it wrongly as a ladder to try to justify themselves to God. Paul tears down that ladder with his proclamation that both Jews and Gentiles are justified by grace through faith. And therefore, Peter should not be putting those ladders back up by adding works to the gospel of grace as a means to be justified. Both Jews and Gentiles have seen through faith in Christ that all are sinners, and this doesn't make Christ a servant of sin or an excuser or enabler of sin. This makes him a savior of sin. And so don't go back to try to work for your right standing with God. 
sin is too serious of a problem. It can only be remedied by the blood of Christ. And if this was a warning that Peter and the Galatians needed to hear, church, this should be a warning for us as well. Don't go back to try to work for your right standing with God. And don't try to guilt others into working for their right standing with God or with you. Guilt is a lousy motivator. It fuels good work for maybe like an hour. But grace, on the other hand, that grace fuels good work for an eternity. If you want people to change, don't drown them with guilt. Cover them with grace. This is the way of Jesus. Verse 19. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. Notice that Paul doesn't say the law dies, but that he died to the law. And what that means is that by being united to Christ in his death, he's already been executed for breaking the law. The worst that the law could do to you is sentence you to death, and since he died with Christ, the law now has no power over him anymore. Verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Oh, church, do you see the union with Christ on display here? Paul says that I have been crucified with Christ. When you rest your heart and life on Christ, your old, sin-loving, self-righteous, seeking self is crucified with him. And so now the life we live, we live with a new identity. My identity is now found in Christ. When Britt married me, what did she have to do? She had to go get a new ID. She was still Brittany, but she was now Brittany Walker. She was now in the family. She has a new identity, and that identity gives her security and direction for life. When I came to faith in Christ, I, I, I do not live now however Grant Walker wants to live. No, I have been united to Christ. I don't just consider my wants and needs, I consider his. And strangely, his wants and desires are slowly but surely starting to become my wants and desires. Not as fast as I would like them to, but slowly but surely. And didn't a similar thing happen when Britt and I got married? Someone would, would come up to Britt to, to make plans, ask if, if she wanted to do something to hang out, and she would say, hey, l- let me check with, with Grant first. I want to honor him and respect him. We need to get on the same page. Someone would, would come and ask me to do something to make plans, and, and I would say, hey, l- let me check with Britt first. I want to I, I love her and cherish her, and we, we need to get on the same page about what our calendar is going to look like. It's not just me living my life now. My life is hers and hers is mine. And then the longer we've been married, the more we're, we're rubbing off on each other and some of her loves are becoming my loves and some of my loves are becoming her loves. You see, when we are united to Christ, this should absolutely change your everyday life because it's no longer just you living and doing whatever you want to do. No, you've been united to Christ. Your life is now His. And you must joyfully now surrender your wants and desires to Him. 
And I say joyfully because even though surrendering our wants and desires to him, at times that can be painful. At times it is painful to surrender some things over to Christ, to surrender our desires and will for his desires and will. But listen, know this, that when you do that, oh, it produces so much more joy in your life to surrender your will to his. For it's what we were created for. It's what we were designed for. And as you submit yourself to him more and more, and as you trust him more and more, the life of Christ lives through you more and more. And this doesn't mean that you lose your your identity or your own unique personality. No, each and every one of you have been fearfully and wonderfully made. God has made you each unique in, in a lot of different ways. But sin has also distorted your true identity. And your real and true identity is only experienced when you are united with Christ. He doesn't make you a better version of yourself. No, his life makes you the truest version of yourself. And when it seems difficult to surrender your own will, because it will at times, when it seems painful to surrender things over to Christ and to allow his life to transform you into the truest version of yourself, remember this and trust what God says in verse 20. Galatians 2 verse 20, the life we now live, we live by faith, resting our heart, resting our heart on the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Do you believe that? It's sometimes difficult to believe that Jesus loves me and gave himself for me. But listen, for those who can see the glory of the cross, it is absolutely true. Jesus loves you and gave himself for you. For the longest time, when I'd read the Gospel of John, it would, it would sort of rub me the wrong way that how, how, how John speaks of himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Felt like it was sort of a braggy way to describe yourself. You know, I'm the one that Jesus loved. But I don't think it was like that at all. He speaks with the same understanding that Paul has here. Paul knows that Jesus loves him and gave himself for him. And I believe, church, that God wants us to know this and believe this too. Do you think of yourself as the one whom Jesus loved? What courage... And what joy and what spiritual energy would fill our hearts with the fruit of the Spirit to the full if we really believed and received that we are ones whom Jesus loved and gave himself for. Charles Spurgeon, he he once said this. He said, uh, I would not distress the mind of anyone who is feeble in faith and who is clinging to Christ but has never yet received full assurance of salvation. And so I will attempt to follow Spurgeon's advice and not put anyone in too much distress. 
But he says, but I would encourage such a person never to rest until he gets rid of all questions and is able to say without the slightest trepidation, speaking of Jesus, that he is the one, Jesus is the one who loved me and gave himself for me. Do not rest until you can fully believe that and say that without the slightest trepidation that Jesus is the one who loves me and gave himself for me. Whatever we got to work through, whatever we got to talk through, whatever we got to pray through, do not rest until you can say and fully believe that Jesus, that Jesus loves you and gave himself for you. Jesus loves me and gave himself for me. Have you rested your heart on that truth? You who are united to Christ, have you rested your heart on that truth? Because if you have, that, this changes everything. And, and this upcoming week, before I do anything, I want to remind myself and believe that Jesus loves me and gave himself for me. Because if Jesus loves me and gave himself for me, then I can go forgive someone who's wronged me. If Jesus loves me and gave himself for me, then I can go love my neighbor as myself. If Jesus loves me and gave himself for me, then I can sacrificially love and lead my wife and boys and lay myself down for them. If Jesus loves me and gave himself for me, then I can't wait to talk to him in prayer next. I'm like looking forward. Like when are we going to end this sermon and pray again? I want to talk to him. If Jesus loves me and gave himself for me, then I can confess my sin and I can turn from it. I don't need to hide it. I don't need to diminish it. I don't need to downplay it. If Jesus loves me and gave himself for me, then I can, I can have all the courage in the world to take the gospel into the city and to the nations and to the college, and I will not fear any, I will not fear any attack of the enemy because Jesus loves me and gave himself for me. And if he loves me and gave himself for me, then this changes everything. And I want you to be able to say the same thing. Because Christ's story will not become every human being's story. Look at verse 21, and we'll close with this warning. He says, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. To nullify means to render ineffective. It's to ignore or reject something. There will be some who persistently and continuously and finally reject the grace of God. There will be some who will continue to try to work for their own right standing with God, and they will live their lives essentially declaring that Christ died for no purpose. And so I make a plea with you this morning to give yourself to God and do not reject His grace. Receive the mercies of God and present yourself and your entire self to God as a living sacrifice and embrace what you were created for. You were created to be united to Christ. It's the, only the blood of Christ that will remedy the problem that you have in your heart. 
And listen, if the blood of Christ even now is starting to soften your heart, you'll be able to say and believe and personally apply the truth from Romans 3.23. If the blood of Christ is, is starting to soften your heart, you should be able to say and, and apply it to yourself, for, for I have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You see, the Spirit comes to each of us and He applies Christ's work to us. And as the blood of Christ starts to soften our hearts, we see in these truths, not just that, yes, there's some sinners out there, but no, we start to see and feel the conviction that, no, I am the sinner. I have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If the blood of Christ is starting to soften your heart, then you should be able to say and personally apply the truth from Romans 6.23 where you start to see that the wages of my sin is death. The penalty and what I deserve, the wages of my sin is death, but the free gift of God is my eternal life in Christ Jesus my Lord. If the blood of Christ is starting to soften your heart, you should be able to say and personally apply the truth from Romans 5.8. But God showed his love for me and that while I was a sinner, Christ died for me. If the blood of Christ is starting to soften your heart, you should be able to say the truth and apply the truth of Romans 10, 9 and say, I confess that Jesus is Lord and I believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead. If the blood of Christ is starting to soften your heart, you should be able to say and proclaim and personally apply the truth from Galatians 2, 20. I have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Will you take a step of faith and entrust your heart and life to Christ this morning. This is what it means to be a Christian. It means to be united to Christ. It means that his story becomes our story. Has his story become your story yet? For those of you that it has, are you living in the reality of that truth? Are you living by faith, moment by moment, entrusting yourself to the one who loves you and gave himself for you? A person is not justified by works, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So may we be a people who give ourselves to God, who rest our hearts upon him and him alone, and may we not reject his grace this morning. Let's pray.